because I said so. How many of you heard that growing up as a child? (laughs) I did, quite often. I wasn't the best little boy. And it always wrangled me when my father would say, because I said so. It was usually in his defense because we were, you know, going somewhere or in the middle of doing something, and he just didn't have time to explain things to me. Um, But I hated that. What if instead he had said, because I love you? Because I love you. What if instead he'd said that? Or instead he'd say, he said, because I care about you. How would that have changed things? Now, my dad's not here, so it seems unfair to uh, lambast him while he's in Columbus today. He was at the Ohio State game yesterday, so I'm sure he's going to church down there. Um, But he's not here, and I don't want you to get the wrong impression. I love my father, and he's a good father. But this is one thing that I take umbrage with. And I think in some ways, when we look at the text today, many of us have been taught the first statement instead of the second statement about this text in Genesis. And I'm here to tell you I think that's wrong. I think that's wrong. This test of Abraham is not a because I said so test, but rather it's a because I love you test. And framing it in the, se- in the first way gives it a whole different tone than framing it in the second way. Now, I want to be clear, I think some of the church fathers talk about it being in the first way, and I think John Calvin actually talks about it being that way too. Um, and so it's certainly a valid way to look at this text, but I think it misses the larger point, which is a point of testing Abraham's faith or trust in God's goodness and his promises. It's a test of his goodness and promises rather than a blind test of obedience. Do you see the difference? Do you see the difference? One says, out of power and authority, I have to obey you. The other says, out of goodness, your goodness, I trust in you. So as we continue in our series here on Patriarchs and Promises, we're looking at this text. And it may have struck you as strange as we look at the Genesis text as well as the Gospel text that we generally hear these texts during Holy Week. If you're thinking, I've already heard these texts this year, you're right, you've heard them at least once. If you were here the first Sunday of Lent, you heard this Genesis text, and it's traditionally the liturgical text for Good Friday, too. But here we look at it from another angle. We look at it as part of a sermon series on patriarchs and promises. And so let us start looking at this as a prefigurement of Jesus' sacrifice. I hope that came through in the scheduling of the readings. But if it didn't, what's going on here in Genesis is actually a foreshadowing or prefigurement of the Father handing over his only son to be sacrificed for us. Except, of course, in the case of the Father, God, handing over Jesus, the sacrifice goes through. Right? Jesus is the provided sacrifice. 
So look with me quickly at our second lesson, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. The author of the book of Hebrews says this about Jesus. But we see him, that is Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Now, gosh, there's a lot in those two verses, isn't there? A lot of theology there. And I think that part of what part of it is found back in Genesis, where we see this testing go on with Abraham. So now look with me at Genesis chapter 22, our first reading. Verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt, a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. We'll stop there for a moment. So what's going on here, according to Scripture, is that Abraham is being tested. But recall last week, what have we just seen Abraham go through? What happened last week in our series? Do you remember? I know, a week can be a long time. Do you remember? It was this fulfillment of God's promise with King Abimelech giving Abraham a well, right? And then making this treaty. Do you remember that? And remember the important theological point there was that that well was a fulfillment of God's promise to give Abraham and his descendants this land. So Abraham has just gone through a reiteration of this promise and a testimony, he plants a tree as a testimony to God's eternalness, right? And then we turn the page or the chapter and we come to this chapter. So this testing is not without context, is my point. It's in the context of a promise fulfilled. And I think that while um, this would be a difficult test, that does help us understand what God's doing. Now, the author tells us that Abraham's being tested, but of course, Abraham doesn't know that, right? The narrator tells us that, but he doesn't necessarily know that. And I'm sure Abraham was wondering to himself, is this really God? What is God doing? Why does he want me to make this sacrifice? Why does he want me to sacrifice this promise, this son of promise, Isaac, the fulfillment of promise, that started in Genesis chapter 12 at the beginning of our series. A promise for which Abraham and Sarah had waited 25 years in trust sometimes and in doubt other times. So here's the test. Here's the test. 
It's not whether Abraham will blindly do what God commands him to do, but rather, is God greater than death? Is God greater than death? Let me explain. What God is doing here is so much bigger than what Abraham and Isaac can see. They can't apprehend what he's doing here. He's foreshadowing events that are going to happen thousands of years later with Jesus after the incarnation, right? With Jesus' suffering and death that we heard in the gospel passage. But nevertheless, we see Abraham being obedient and trusting in the Lord. Look at verses 3 and 4. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. It's interesting, isn't it, that it's a three-day journey to the sacrifice? Now, if you're reading this as a liturgical Christian, what does that say to you? That it's a three-day journey? That should highlight something in your mind or throw up a flag or a flare, right? Hmm, three days. What goes on three days with Jesus later on? The resurrection. Yeah, the resurrection. So there's, again, a prefigurement going on here, too, right? It's not coincidental. This is all tied together. The three days in these verses can be easily overlooked. But imagine the testing going on in those three days. Abraham is forced to wrestle with the idea, does God want me to kill my son? And how will God make good on his promise that my son will be a blessing to nations? It's the same testing that the apostles wrestle with, with Jesus. Do you remember the story in the Gospels of the road to Emmaus? The apostles, some apostles are leaving and they're downcast because the one whom they had put their trust in had been crucified. Do you see a parallel here? There's so many. Let's keep going. Abraham would have been familiar with sacrifice and with human sacrifice from a historical perspective. Commentator Kent Hughes writes that here Abraham's faith was going to be stretched to the other limit. And of course, he's right. But again, the test is, is God God of the dead and the living? Is God trustworthy to keep his promise? Will you obey me because I love you? Jesus says in John 14:15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. God's power and ability to demand obedience here is within his right, but that's not the point. The point is rather, do you trust me? Do you trust me over life and death? You see, the first test is a test of trust in who God is, what theologians call the properties of the divine. It's an intellectual test, but it's nothing, but it's not academic, I should say. It's one that human beings 
have questioned and asked about for millennia. Is God good? Is God almighty? Does God care about me? For years, Christians, too, ask those questions. Is God good? And if we're honest, even once we're found within the fold of God, we ask these questions when we come to confronting illness, when we come to confronting death, when we come to confronting really difficult things in life. We have to ask ourselves, well, we don't have to, but we do ask ourselves, rather, is God good? Can I really trust him? even in this? Abraham, as I said, has experienced human sacrifice. He comes from the land of Ur of the Canaanites. The Canaanites practiced human sacrifice. The person was bound and laid on the sticks of the altar. His throat was cut, and he was dismembered and burned. Was Abraham's God the same as those brutal pagan gods that he would demand this? Do you see what's going on here? Do you see what God's having him wrestle with? Is my God the same as those gods? That's the first part of the test. And we don't know Abraham's exact thoughts. Scripture's silent on it. But there's hints of Abraham's faith and trust in God throughout, which you might have picked up on. Look at the next four verses in the text, verses 5 through 8. Then Abraham said... To his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. And he took his hand to the fi- and the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father! And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. Now, scholar Gordon Wenham makes the point that Abraham doesn't just say, will return, but he says that he and his boy will return here in verse 5. They will worship and come back to you, he tells his servants. Is that deception or faith? I think it's faith. I think Abraham is trusting in God's goodness and promises. Then look at verses 7 and 8. Is Abraham lying to Isaac so that he can get him to come up to the mountain, trying to trick him, saying, here, you carry this wood, but, you know, yeah, God will provide the lamb. And it's really you, buddy. Is that what Abraham's doing? No. Abraham is declaring his faith that God will provide not a human, but a lamb. God is good, and his goodness provides a way. But the test continues. Does God have the power over life and death? You see, God is good, And his goodness is in contrast here to the pagan gods that Abraham left in Ur. This is the first test. But God's goodness surpasses that absence of evil. Does God have the power over life and death? His goodness, in contrast with those pagan gods, probably does not require the sacrifice of Abraham's only son. 
But does God, does Abraham's God have power over life and death itself? Again, let's look at the text. Look at verses 9 through the beginning of verse 12. Then they came to the place which God had told him. Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything for him, to him, rather. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from, excuse me, from me. You see, the second part of this test was whether Abraham trusted in God's goodness over life and death. Now, why do I say that? Well, Abraham could have very well gone forward with the sacrifice and killed Isaac. And would that necessarily have been the end? Is God the God of the living and the dead? It would have been horrendous. And yet, could God have raised Isaac from the dead? Absolutely, God could have raised Isaac from the dead. So here's the second part of the test. The test of belief in the resurrection. Do you see that? In the power of God over death. Is he trustworthy in death itself? All right. As I told you back in Lent, I have to shoot straight with you again. Is Father Sean making this theology up? No, I'm ripping it off from the book of Hebrews. But, again, in my opinion, a good pastor never makes up anything new. Right? So, in the book of Hebrews, we read this, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So the author of Hebrews sees this as a foreshadowing of the resurrection itself. So why does God put Abraham through this? Well, at least for two reasons. Number one, again, God is testing Abraham's faith so that he mentally assents to the fact that God will keep his promises no matter what, even to his most precious son. Right? That God will keep his promises no matter what. You know, a lot of us will say, a lot of parents will say, would say, take my life if our child was threatened, right? So is our life really the most precious thing that we have? No, but rather, sometimes the most precious thing we have is someone we love. Oftentimes that's the case. And so here, Abraham is being tested with the most precious thing. Now you might apply that to a spouse or a best friend or someone for whom you're willing to give your life, right? Jesus himself talks about this, laying down his life for his friends. Greater love hath no man 
that does this? Abraham passes the test. He puts the most precious thing in his life into the hands of God. What does this say to the church and to us? Well, are we able to put the things and the people that we value most in God's hands? It's one thing to believe that God's good. It's one thing to believe it for yourself, but to believe it for those whom you love. Can we put them in his hands? We have to remember that before we loved them, God loved them. Before we loved them, God loved them. How many of you have seen this movie? It's called Soul. Has anyone seen that movie? It's a Pixar movie. Um, it's an interesting movie. I, I would uh, advise you to watch it. There's some theologically wonky things in there, as there always are with secular movies. But the premise of it is this jazz musician dies accidentally, and instead of going to the afterlife, he ends up in the pre-life with the souls of all those who are going to be born on earth. I won't give away the rest of the movie. You should watch it. But one of the things that it got me thinking about was this. That, of course, we know from the psalm, before I created you in your mother's womb, I knew you, says the Lord. But apply that to love. Before you loved the person that you loved the most, God loved them. And he loves them more than you do, even. As much as you love them, he loves them more. Now, how does that change how you entrust their life to God? How does that change how you interact with them? Right? Knowing that God loves them more than you do, even. I'll tell you what, it gets tested in difficult times with the loss of a child or the loss of a precious family member. But if you know that God loves that person more than you do, what hope you have, what hope you have in his love. So do we, like Abraham, trust that he has our best interest in mind even when it's painful or costly to us, as sanctification often is. Can you give that thing into his hands? Perhaps it's something that you're you're struggling with, maybe a chronic illness or a pain that won't go away. Can you bring that to the Lord? And he might take it from you, but he might be with you in your suffering. Can you trust it to the Lord? You see, trustworthiness in God's goodness coupled with his power, is true in life and death situations, but in small situations also, in the things that we go through in life, in how we handle our money, in how we handle our reputations, in what stands we take for the gospel. Can you trust God with those things too? Let's get back to Abraham. Because of his obedience, he was incredibly blessed Scripture tells us that, that it's because of his obedience that he is incredibly blessed. Look at the words in verse 17. I will surely bless you, 
And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice, says the Lord. So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. And then we hear of his relatives as well, setting up the next passage. Jesus says to the Hebrews in John chapter 8, verse 56, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. In Abraham's faith, he sees this as the prefigurement of Christ. In Abraham's days, he sees this sacrifice as a prefigurement of Christ's one sacrifice. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13, we read, All these people, still living by faith, when they died, they did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on the earth. All those people that came before Christ died, that were faithful, saw Christ. And his declaration of faith was not, will not be just for himself, that is Abraham's faith, but for the entire world. God will provide for himself the lamb, which of course he did. What do we say at Holy Communion every Sunday? When we have Holy Communion, Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. Have mercy on us. Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. Have mercy on us. Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. Grant us peace. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, who would received the promises. God is at work in Abraham's life here, friends. And this is not a test of cruelty. This is not a do this because I said so. Rather, this is a test of love. He's saying, do this because I love you. Do this because I love you. And of course, as Jesus later says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So, God says this to us today. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Do this because I love you. Let us ask the Holy Spirit to give us the grace to do all that he commands and to love him more for it. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.